There we go, that's better. I uh, did not look it up in the Pew Bible, but I would assume it's around 540-ish if you are using the Pew Bible. And as you're turning there, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here, gathered as the people of God in Fairdale, Kentucky, on the first Sunday of 2016. God, I ask that as, as we open the psalm this morning and look at what the psalmist has said, that you would cause us to be people who worship, cause us to be people who praise you, cause us to be people who know what you are like, that you are good, and that your steadfast love endures forever. God, I pray that we would be people who know these things about you throughout 2016 and praise you for it as a result. God, teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 107 is a psalm of praise. And the psalmist is writing this psalm after some some pretty major events had happened. And so, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that there's a time when God sets aside the people of Israel to be His people. And He leads them out of Egypt where they're enslaved to the Egyptians and he leads them through the wilderness and then at times they rebel. We can read about this in the prophets and they turn away from God and so other nations come in and they they take over and they're exiled. They're kicked out of their promised land. And then at one point we've got a divided kingdom. We've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so a lot of bad things happen over the course of, of the history of Israel, the people of God. But this psalm is written after God had returned the people back to their promised land. And so this is a psalm of praise. The psalmist, from the beginning, is going to begin talking about reasons we have to praise the Lord. And so what I've done is as I've kind of broken this psalm up into four sections. And I've entitled them, number one is the purpose for praise. The psalmist tells us a purpose for praising. Uh, Two is he describes the participants who should praise. Three, he describes the paradigm for why we should praise. And then four, he describes the person that we praise. So we've got the purpose for praise, the participants that should praise, the paradigm for why we should praise, and then the person that we do praise. He begins in verse 1. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. And so it's in verse 1 that we see His purpose. The psalmist is saying, we should give thanks to the Lord, and then he names two reasons. He says, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. So the psalmist is going to explain why he says that God is good, and why His steadfast love endures forever throughout the psalm. But at the beginning, he's saying, this is the reason we have to give thanks to the Lord. And here is why I chose this psalm on today, the first Sunday of 2016, is because as we move into a new year, we are often thinking about, maybe we're reflecting back on 2015, and we're thinking about all the, all the things that we would have liked to have done better. That's probably why we all come up with New Year's resolutions, because clearly things were not as good as they could have been, otherwise there'd be no resolutions. And so we're oftentimes also looking ahead. We're looking at at the year to come and we're thinking, well, how can I make this year a better year? How can this year be even better than 2015? Maybe 2015 was a great year. 
But we're always thinking, we're always looking forward to, I want it to be better. I want it to be even a little bit better than than what 2015 was. And so as we think about that, and I'm sure many of you, those thoughts have been on your mind, I want us to come to Psalm 107 and think with the psalmist, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. I don't know if, if all of you made... Uh, New Year's resolutions. I'm sure some of you are probably over that. You've failed too many times that you're just nah, not even going to do it. But I wonder if you've made any spiritual resolutions that maybe you want to, uh, maybe you want to actually in 2016 read your Bible from cover to cover. That would be a good goal. That's one of my goals this year is to do that again. That's a good thing. Maybe, maybe one of your goals for 2016 is that we're people who pray more often. Or maybe you want to be a better spiritual leader in your home. Or maybe you want to be a better spiritual leader to the people on your sports team. Those are all good goals. And maybe ways that we can improve from from last year. And the psalmist is saying that, that here we should be people who give thanks to the Lord. Because He is good. And because His steadfast love endures forever. And so as we sit here the first Sunday of 2016 and we think about looking forward to the new year that's coming... Are we thinking about praising God and giving thanks to God? Have any of us been thinking, you know, as 2016 begins, I want to be a person who's, who's more thankful to God for what He has done for me. Because He has been good to me. Because He has shown me steadfast love. I hope that we think about those types of things. Because what the psalmist is going to describe is how God is good and how His steadfast love endures forever. And so as we see this, I hope that you see that you and I have every reason to be people who are thankful and people who praise God every day of our coming year. It shouldn't just be around the holidays. It shouldn't just be around Thanksgiving. But we have every reason to thank God every single day of our lives. And I pray that as we, a congregation here in Fairdale, move forward in 2016, that that would become us. That we as a congregation as a whole would be people who who praise God more and more each and every day for what He has done for us. And so as we look through the psalm, we're going to see some of the amazing things that God has done for His people. And so He states a purpose for praising. Because God is good, He is worthy of our praise, and His steadfast love endures forever. Those are the reasons, or that's the purpose that you and I should be people who thank God. But then number two... He describes the participants. And here's why, here's why I gave you a little bit of context for the psalm. So verse 2, he says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The psalmist is saying, all of you who have been redeemed by the Lord. Now remember, he's writing to people who had just been brought back from exile. Other nations had come in and they'd cast these people out and they had been in slavery and they they hadn't been in the promised land and so life is probably not great for them. And God has brought them back. He says, for all of you, all of you who are just in exile and you've been brought back, think about what God has done for you. All of those whom He has brought in from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. All of you are the people who should be praising God. Look at what He had just done for you. Is what the psalmist is saying. So he names his part, the participants who should be praising. 
And then the largest part of the psalm is, is verses 4 through 32. And here we see a paradigm for why we should praise. Now a paradigm is really just a list of examples. So we're going to see four different examples that the psalmist gives of situations that the people of God were in and God delivered them. So look with me at verse 4. The psalmist says, Some wandered in desert wastes. They found no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. So here's the first situation that people found themselves in. Wandering in a desert waste. Doesn't sound like a place you'd want to be. Finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. I remember when I was in the military, I was coming home from Afghanistan, and we stopped in this little country, and I'm not really sure how to pronounce it correctly. It's either Qatar or Qatar, one of those two. It starts with a Q. Um, and so we landed, at, and they call this place the tarmac, okay? And it's basically just this huge concrete pad, and that's where the airplane lands. And so there's a small building where they, I guess they would do like uh, work on the airplanes or whatnot, and, and some people would be working there. But I remember getting off the plane, and there's no like, when you normally fly, normally you've got like the little runway that they back up to the door, so you just walk off and you're in the terminal. No, you're walking down the stairs onto this concrete, and as you look out, is nothing but flat desert. And then way off, way off in, the, in the distance, there's, there's these mounds of, of sand. And I just remember thinking, I would hate to get left here. This would be awful. You know, like that moment where you see the plane take off and you're like, what? Nothing. And it was the most deserted place I've ever seen in my life. And to think about that, and to think about, here's these people who are wandering in a place like that. You think about the desert. Many of us have probably seen documentaries about people who found themselves in the desert. They got lost or something. And it's just a struggle for life. It's hard to find water. It's hard to find shelter. It gets really cold in the nighttime. It gets really hot in the daytime. This is not a great inhabitable place to be. But the psalmist says, here's where some people found themselves. In a situation like this, which is virtually hopeless. He says, they're hungry and they're thirsty. There's really not a whole lot to eat in the desert. I mean, maybe you can get some water out of a cactus, but good luck fighting the, all the, the pokey things, whatever they're called. He says, they were hungry and thirsty. Their souls fainted within them. Which basically means they're, they're on the verge of, of giving up. They want to die. And who wouldn't? This is a miserable place to find ourselves. But then notice what they do next. In, in verse 6. It says, but then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. So here they are, they're in the desert, they're in a, a deserted place, they're finding no way to a city which has shelter, and which has food, and which has water. They can't find their way. They're trying, they're trying to get there, but they're not finding a way. They're hungry, they're thirsty, their souls are ready to just quit and die. And it's their last resort to cry out to God. Because it seems like the psalmist is, is trying to insinuate that, that they're trying to help themselves. They're trying to find their own way out of the desert. It is not their first instinct to say, well, well why don't we cry out to God? You remember that God who, who delivered our fathers out of Egypt in this amazing way? He brought the plagues and then He led us through the, through the, uh, the sea. But they're trying to find their own way out of the desert. They're trying to find their own way to a city. They're trying to find their own way to eat and to drink and to be filled. 
but it's their last resort. They've basically decided, well, we've got no other options. So let's try and cry out to God. And it says, He delivered them from their distress. Now here's, here's one thing I want us to notice about this. These people who are in the wilderness did nothing to deserve deliverance. They didn't say that um, they had done enough, enough good works where God was kind of pleased with them. Because remember the reason they're in exile to begin with. They rejected God. They, they went after their own gods and went after their own things. And that's the reason that they're in exile to begin with. So to begin with, they're probably not on, on uh, God's good side. And then also, they're, they're finding themselves in this situation and they're trying everything in their own power to get themselves out. Saying to God, basically, I don't need your help. Why, why would I need you? I'll get myself out of this mess. It's almost like a slap in the face to God, doesn't it? But yet, when they cry to the Lord in their trouble, He delivers them from their distress. They don't deserve to be delivered. They deserve the judgment of God. They have ignored His counsel, ignored His word, wanted nothing to do with Him. They find themselves in this situation. And yet, when they cry out to God, He delivers them. But not only does He deliver them, it says then, verse 7, He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. God does not just deliver them from their bad circumstances and maybe provide some food and water. He then leads them to a city which is going to be full of these good things that they want and that they need. Shelter, warmth, friendship, food, water. God does not just simply deliver them, but He, he leads them. He leads them to what He knows they need. Verse 8 we see this refrain in all four situations. He says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. The psalmist is saying, Do you realize what I'm saying? That there were these people that because they had ignored God and rejected Him, they found themselves in a desert waste with, with no, um, no way to a city. There's no food. There's no water. They're about to die. And when they cry out to the Lord, He delivers them. And he leads them to what they need. He leads them to a city to dwell in. Oh, let these people thank him for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Do you see these wonderful works that God is performing for his people? They did not deserve deliverance. They did not deserve for God to do any of this. But yet God shows that He is good and that His steadfast love endures forever and that even when His people reject Him, turn their back on Him, do everything to offend Him, when they cry to Him, He delivers. Verse 9, the psalmist adds this. He says, God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. But now the psalmist says, well, hold on, you think, you think that's good? You like that story? Hold on, I've got another one for you. Look at verse 10. He says, but some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. So the psalmist says, you think that was crazy? Check this out. There were some who were sitting in darkness. They were in the shadow of death. And what he means by in the shadow of death, he says right after this that they're prisoners in chains and in affliction. 
These are people who are sitting in prison, probably on what we would know as death row, just waiting for execution. They're in the shadow of death. They know that it's near, but they don't know at what time or at what point it's going to come. That would also be a terrible way to live, wouldn't it? At least in 21st century America, if you're, if you're sitting on death row, at least you know a date, which is probably also equally awful. But to think about this situation that they find themselves in, and, and the, the psalmist says why they're there, and this is the main reason overall as to why they're in exile to begin with. He says, For they rebelled against the words of God. They spurned the counsel of the Most High, which basically means they rejected it. And so God bowed their hearts with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Here again, we see a situation where the people of God have rejected Him. They've wanted nothing to do with His Word. They've wanted nothing to do with His counsel. They've said, you know what, God? Forget you. We know what's best for ourselves. And we're going to do that. We're going to follow after that. And here's where they find themselves. They find themselves in prison. In the shadow of death. And you think about being in the shadow of death, knowing that death is imminent. It's coming. We just don't know when. And it's at that point that they cry out to the Lord. They wait until the very worst possible situation they could get themselves into. They're shackled. They're they're about ready to die. And it's at this point, not at any point leading up to that, it's at this point when they hit rock bottom is when they cry out to the Lord. He says, but then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Once again, the psalmist gives us another example. Here's these people who are finding themselves in a terrible situation. They're the people of God, but yet they have rejected Him. They've wanted nothing to do with His counsel. And so here they find themselves in this terrible situation. But yet when they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, He delivers them from their distress. He says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. And then here's the refrain. He says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters doors of bronze and cuts into bars of iron. There is no prison in the world. There is no shackle in the world that is able to restrain God. And even though these people have rejected His Word, rejected His counsel. They've tried everything on their own to deliver themselves. When it's all failed, they cry out to God and He does what? He delivers them. He delivers them from their distress. Again, the psalmist with this refrain says, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. People, look at what He just did for you. Did you forget how you rejected His Word? You rejected His counsel? You wanted nothing to do with Him? And then you find yourself in this situation and He still delivers you. Thank Him for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. This is nothing short of miraculous. I thought about if we put ourselves in the situation that God was in, and, and the people that, that were under our authority just decided they wanted nothing to do with us. They were just going to totally reject us, go their own way, do their own thing. And when they find themselves on the brink of death with no other options, then they come back to us. How would we feel? You don't want anything to do with me. Forget you. 
That's not how God acts. Because God is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. So the psalmist says, you, you think that's good? Hold on, i got another one for you. Look at this, verse 17. He says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. So here's another situation where people are finding themselves in. And it seems to me that, that these people are, are probably very sick when it says they loathed any kind of food. Normally people who are very sick and very ill on the brink of death from being sick, uh, they don't really eat a whole lot, they don't really drink a whole lot. And so it seems to me that, that here's these people who have found themselves in this situation where they're, they're now sick and, and dying. And it's interesting that he says that they were fools. Now, if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll know that, that you do not want to be referred to as a fool. Proverbs does not paint a good picture of the fool. And so, when the Bible calls people fools, that's not something we should aspire to. And, and the Bible says here that some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction they loathed any kind of food and drew near to the gates of death. And so here's this situation where people are, are dying of sickness, disease, whatever it is. And again, it's their last resort. The last thing they think of is, well, wait a second, why don't, we, why don't we cry out to God? Why don't we cry out to the one who delivered our forefathers? Maybe we should do that. We're here at the brink of death we're drawing near to the gates of death. He says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Again, the psalmist is hammering home the point that although these people did nothing to deserve deliverance, although these people deserved nothing but wrath and judgment, that's not what they received. He says, When they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, He delivered them from their distress. Verse 20 is very interesting. It says, He sent out His Word and healed them. I want you all to know tonight, this morning, on a side note, that the Word of God is healing to our souls. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that, that if we would set a goal to read through the Bible in a year, that is a great goal, not only just for something that we can say we accomplished, but to think about the entire Word of God, the entire counsel of God running through your mind at some point throughout the year, that is going to be a great thing for you spiritually. It's going to help you grow the more and more that you do it. It's going to cause you to see things, truths in the Word of God that you may have never seen before. It's going to give you wisdom about situations we find ourselves in life. The Word of God is healing to us, and we need it. That is why every morning, the Word of God is the focus of our service. We love to sing. We love to hear testimonies. We love to, to take up the offering. But the most important thing we do every Sunday morning is we open the Word of God. And we read it. And we preach it. And we pray that God would use it to change lives. I want you to know that the Word of God is healing this morning. We need the Word of God. He says, He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. 
Again, verse 21, here's, here's this phrase again. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Again, the psalmist is saying, look at what God has done for you. Look at how He delivered you. You didn't deserve it. You did nothing to receive this. But because God is good, because His steadfast love endures forever, when you cried out, He delivered. Thank the Lord for that. Thank Him for His wondrous works to the children of man. He says, but hold on, I've, I've even got another one. Verse 23, the final example that he gives. He says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. One thing I came across as I was uh, reading about this psalm is that people who went on ships during this time only went on ships because they absolutely had to. There was no airplanes. You couldn't fly anywhere. If you had to do some business or, or get something shipped to a different place, it was risky getting on a ship. It's not like today. It's not like we got all these cruise liners where for the most part, you're going to get to where you're going. It was, it was a scary thing. And so to get on a ship means you had serious business that you had to take care of and there's no other way to do it. And so these people are getting on the ships and here's the types of things that might happen. Okay? They saw the wondrous works of the Lord. Now he describes what that means. The waves are, are growing. All right? They're crashing in on these ships. The waves are coming up. They're going down. He says, their courage melted away in their evil plight. We don't know exactly what he means by evil plight. Perhaps they were on the sea doing, doing business that was dishonoring to God. I don't know for sure. There's no right or wrong answer right here. But the point is, they're in this ship. They're finding themselves in the midst of a storm. And what's happening is that they're scared for their life. Their courage, all the courage that they had when they got on this ship, it's gone. It melted away because they're seeing the works of God, which is the storm. It says they were at their wits' end. So again, the psalmist tells us that these people are at the end of their, their thoughts or their, their, their understanding. They, they don't know what to do next. They're at their wit's end. It, it, it's over. They're basically thinking, well, we're probably done. I think about the, the story in Jonah, where Jonah is going away from Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish. And he gets on the ship, and so God is bringing this, this great wave, and it even says in that story that, that the, the people were throwing their cargo off the ship to try and lighten the load. Because they're trying to do everything in their power to get through this storm so they can make it, so they can have their lives when they get on the other end of this. And so I imagine it's a lot of the same thing going on, and they're, they're trying everything they can to save themselves. And finally, they get to a place where they realize... It doesn't matter how much cargo we throw overboard. It doesn't matter how many people we maybe throw overboard. This storm ain't letting up. We're done. And it's at this moment that they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivers them from their distress. For the fourth time, the psalmist is saying, here's these people finding themselves in a situation they cannot deliver themselves from and when they cry out to the Lord, He delivers. That is amazing. 
Think about these people, how they got themselves in the situation to begin with. It's because they rejected his word. It's because they wanted nothing to do with his counsel. And so they find themselves in these situations, and even though they have no right to be delivered, God delivers them anyway. And we would ask why. It's because of what the psalmist says in verse 1. It's because he is good and because his steadfast love endures forever. You see, the psalmist gives us this paradigm for why we should praise. Because here's all these people in different situations. They have no reason to be delivered. God has no obligation to deliver them. But yet when they cry to Him, He does. He says, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. He's saying this to all the people who have been delivered. He says, all of you from the east and the west, from the north and from the south, every single one of you who has been delivered from, by God from your enemies, you are to be the people who praise Him, who thank Him. Look at what He has done. But then finally, verses 33 to the end, He describes a little bit of the person that we praise. He describes a little bit about the character of God. He says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. There He lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By His blessing they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But He raises up the needy out of affliction makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And so here, the psalmist describes a little bit about the character of God. And we see a little bit of the, the great exchange, which is, is more popular in, in the Gospel of Luke. But, but Luke is, is very clear about the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Those who are rich will be poor. Those who are poor will be rich. We see this exchange, and this is the way God is. He says, those who are needy will be raised out of their affliction. He will pour contempt on princes. This is a little bit about the character of God. This is the person who He is. And so when His people find themselves in all these situations, when they cry out to Him, He delivers. He answers their cry. But I want us to see this morning that, that really the scope of this psalm is not just the people that were delivered from this exile. The scope is really all of human history of anyone who has been redeemed by the Lord. The psalmist says in verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And for us here this morning in 2016, there are many people in this room who have been redeemed by the Lord. Because what's true of all of us is that every single one of us has been exiled. It's not just the Israelites. Yes, they did it. They did awful things. They rejected God. They rejected His Word. They didn't want anything to do with Him. And as a result, they were exiled. But if you look back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were exiled. The very first people ever to live on the face of the earth, they were exiled because they disobeyed God. 
God gave them uh, a whole garden of, of trees and fruits to eat. And he says, there's one tree. Don't eat of it. Sure enough, the serpent comes along and says, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Go ahead and eat it. It's, it's good. And so they eat of it. And what happens is God says, in that day you will surely die. But they don't physically die. They spiritually die. And what happens is that God then sets a cherubim at the east, the east entrance to the garden so that they can no longer come in after he casts them out. You see, the people, Adam and Eve, were exiled from God. They were exiled from community with God. And that is the situation that every single one of us find ourselves in. Every single one of us in here is a sinner. And what that means is that we are separated from God. That means there is no good relationship between us and God. We're exiled. We've been cast out. But there's good news for us. And let's look real quick to Mark chapter 4. So the last situation that the psalmist describes is of these people who are, who are on ships in the sea. Now many of us, that might sound familiar. Because Mark, being a great and, and thoughtful gospel writer, is thinking intentionally. He's writing intentionally. And so Mark includes the story at the very end of, of his gospel, or sorry, the very end of his fourth chapter. And he tells us about another time where we see some people in a ship on a sea and some waves. So listen with me, verse, starting in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, Mark writing that story very intentionally, causing us to think about a time in the Old Testament where we heard a similar story. Mark's readers should be thinking, wait a second, I've, I've heard of this before. This sounds familiar. Maybe it's the people of God who are in the ship. They're going down to do business in the great waters and they see that there's the wondrous deeds of the Lord. How He raises the, the stormy winds and the waves are, are coming up and they're crashing and these people's courage is melted in their evil plight. And guess what happens? When they cry out to the Lord, He delivers them. And what Mark is wanting us to see is that Jesus is the God of Psalm 107. That just when the, the Israelites are crying out to God in the ship, thinking they're about to die, and God delivers them, so are the disciples. They're in the boat with Jesus. They're crying out to Him because they think they're about to die. And what happens is Jesus delivers them. And that's the good news for you and I this morning. That's the news of the Gospel. is that Although we, just like the Israelites, have been exiled, and it's not just because uh, we're, we're getting kicked out of our land, but it's because of sin. You and I have sinned against the Holy God and that means we're separated from Him. There is no relationship with Him. We have been exiled. But that doesn't mean that 
our situation is hopeless. What it means is that you and I need to cry out to the Lord in our trouble and He will deliver us from our distress. That's that's where we are this morning. Is that Jesus is the person of God. He is the God-man. We just celebrated Christmas where Jesus became a man. He was still fully God, but He was also fully man. And, and, And it's in Jesus that we see the embodiment of a God who is good and whose steadfast love endures forever. We could read through the entire Gospels and see over and over and over again where the disciples don't get it. And Jesus says, How long will I be with you, O faithless generation? And that's that's us. You see, we can read Psalm 107 and think, Well, that's a great story. I, I like that. You know, God was real good to them. And never see that we are just like the Israelites in all these situations in life and we have done nothing to deserve deliverance. Nothing. But yet, if we will cry out to the Lord or if we will cry out to Jesus from a genuine heart, He will deliver us from our distress. And that is the good news for all of us this morning. The first Sunday in January of 2016. If you have been redeemed by the Lord, then you had better be a person that the psalmist says is thanking Him because He is good and because His steadfast love endures forever. And if you have been redeemed, then you have experienced that. The psalmist is saying, if you are one that has been redeemed, that means that you were once exiled. You had no reason being delivered. God had no obligation to deliver you in any way whatsoever. But because He is good, and because His steadfast love endures forever, when you cried out to Him in your trouble, He delivered you. And if that's true of you, then the psalmist says, you had better be a person who is thanking the Lord for His wondrous works to the children of man. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you have no idea what it means to be redeemed by the Lord. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you can. You can know what that means. What God requires of us is that if we cry out to Him with a sincere heart, if we genuinely see that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we have been exiled from God, and if we cry out to Him in our trouble, He will deliver us. That is the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's available for anyone who will cry out to Him in their trouble. He will deliver you from your distress. And so as we move into 2016... If you and I are people that have been redeemed by the Lord, if you know for sure, without a doubt, that you have been saved from your sins because of the work of Jesus on the cross, then may you be a person in 2016 who is far more thankful to God for His wondrous works to the children of man than you were in 2015. And if you have not been redeemed by the Lord, then may 2016 be the year that you fall on your knees and you repent of your sins and ask Jesus to deliver you your distress. And I promise you, if you do it, He will. Because He's good and because His steadfast love endures forever. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this morning. God, we cannot thank You enough for the fact that You are good and that Your steadfast love endures forever.
forever. God, I pray that those of us who know that we've been redeemed would be people who are thankful for it. We would be people who praise you for your wondrous works to the children of man.